So, Amen. That was a blessing, isn't it? Uh, praise God. Thank you, Sister Sally, for singing for the glory of God tonight. Truly, uh, we can never thank God enough for His faithfulness in our lives, isn't it? Uh, he's been faithful to us. Despite of our unfaithfulness, our faithlessness, still uh, God is faithful. First Corinthians 1.9, I believe it says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. And also Lamentations, I believe, 3.23, the Bible declares that God's mercies are new every morning, isn't it? And his faithfulness is always there. And uh, aren't you glad we are serving a faithful God, you know? Because if, if God is just like us, as men or human, then we are in big trouble. Amen? So thank God it's Friday. Amen? TGIF. And the special thing about uh, today is also uh, the last Friday of the month of February. So it seems like winter is back, isn't it? Lumambig uh, And meron tayong konting snow yata this coming week. But uh, we praise and thank God for the good health that we had tonight. And for the safety and opportunity to study God's Word together. How many of you are enjoying your uh, Friday Bible study? Amen. Amen. I think that's one of uh, an avenue, uh, our church ministry, to continue to feed us with God's Word. And uh, it's a good routine for us that at the end of the week, we can gather ourselves uh, around God's Word with God's people. Especially, I, I admire those who um, are able to meet up together in person and study God's Word together. It's, it's really uh, amazing are you able to do that. And Lord willing, we'll be able to do more of that as the uh, weeks pass by, especially when we have uh, better weather and uh, our church members, our Bible study members are feeling much better, isn't it? But we thank God for the opportunity to study God's Word together. And we know during... Uh, the weekends, the uh, the secular world have their happenings, isn't it? Uh, uh, as we know, they try to look for uh, some uh, ha happy events, and some uh, they just stay at, at their houses, you know, uh, just relax and probably catch up with their shows, or uh, some are looking for uh, entertainment outside. But for us, a uh, a Christian as a child of God, it's always good to find ourselves. Amen in the church uh, around God's Word. So tonight we will continue our studies in the 20 C's of the Bible. It's like a, a jet view study of the Bible, like chronologically. I may not be able to teach the Bible in this church verse by verse, book by book. Maybe if I'll do that starting from Genesis, then uh, maybe when we're done, it's going to be uh, the time the Lord will come. You know, But uh, at least we can find... Uh, some uh, like a jet view or like uh, a quick study. Actually, we're already halfway. We started with creation. We started, of course, in the basic, in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 to 3. Then we had the corruption. Uh, when man fell into sin, we have the cataclysm because of man's wickedness. Sin before God. God has to destroy the world with a global flood during Noah's time. And there's the confusion. God spared Noah and his family, only eight people. And through Shem, Ham, Japheth, the whole world was restarted, reset, the great reset, repopulated, isn't it? And then God asked them to uh, scatter and uh, 
Uh, because God knew man's heart that if they stay in one place and they'll have a bad leader, that leader will lead them to, you know, uh, bad beliefs. And uh, they'll be united and they will rebel against God as one. So God is all wise in telling them to scatter, multiply upon the face of the earth. And there was Nimrod who, you know, encouraged the people to stay in one place and build the Tower of Babel, Babel, where God confused their language. They start babbling, you know, because they want to worship the creation more than the creator. They want to worship the sun, moon, and stars. And if you look at history as we studied, they are like this ziggurat that they in earth that has stairs and on the way on the top is a sacrifice. They even sacrifice a virgin or a lady to please, you know, uh, of course, Satan. And uh, God has to confuse their language. We see there the Trinity. Let us come down, the Bible says. And because of that, God has to deal to the world as, as a whole, as a nation, and he started to call Abraham. There was the call to start you know, the Hebrew children, the Israelite people, where God will give you know, this uh, covenant to him. God will give his law to these chosen people to also share and spread what God is all about, his will in our lives throughout the whole pagan world, the heathen. But as we know, you know they did not uh, stay in the promised land after you know, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph who saved the world from that great famine. They did not go back to the promised land. They stayed in Goshen, and they were enslaved by the Egyptian, by a wicked Pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph. So they were like cast away in that place. And because of that, God has to raise Moses to free the Israelite people and give them the laws and everything. And because of that, uh, they also disobeyed God, and God has to call uh, Joshua, to, to uh, allow them to go to the camp and start giving them the promised land that he promised all the way from Moses, the conquest. And from that conquest, we have uh, judges that ruled over them. And the people said, we don't want judges. And Samuel is the last judge. And we want to have a king like the other nations. That's why we started uh, to study last month, uh, the first part of our study today, crown. And later on, we will see the captivity, Babylonian, and then the construction during the times of Nehemiah and Ezra. And then we're going to go to the New Testament. Th those are all Old Testament, amen? We have to go to the New Testament starting with the conception. That's the, the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. All the way from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman that will bruise the head of the serpent. And then, of course, the main focal point of all history is the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Where the sacrifice that was promised, the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world will be nailed on that cruel cross in Golgotha 2,000 years ago. The cross is the center of human history, the center of our redemption. Amen? And then comes the church, which is our age right now. The grace period, the time of the Gentiles, the church age. And then the next greatest prophetic event that will happen in Christendom is that phrase cut away or the term rapture where Christ will come for his saints to deliver us from the great wrath to come. The seven days of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation where the world has never known such pain and suffering is a judgment of God for the unrepentant world and also a time for him to restore his chosen nation, Israel. Amen? 
So that is the uh, caught away. Then chastisement, that's the seven years of tribulation. And he will come. The second phase of the second advent. Christ will come now with his saints. You know, riding a white horse with the believers who were raptured. Amen? And he will fight the battle of Armageddon and he will establish his millennial reign. That's why there's the coronation there. And we will have a perfect government, peace and prosperity because Christ will rule because the throne that was promised from David, that his throne will be ruling forever, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came from the seed of David. And that's what we're going to study today. But even though there's peace and prosperity, because those people who survived the rapture, oh, the great tribulation will still have human flesh. They will repopulate the earth. And even though they saw Christ ruling perfectly, but because of man's wickedness, Sinful heart, depravity, they will choose to obey Satan, who was bound into the pit for almost a thousand years and lose for a season, the Bible says, and he will deceive multitudes and nations. And they will have a final rebellion against God, and God has to condemn them, go to that great white throne judgment, judge every man according to their works. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. Hell and death are thrown into the lake of fire. That's the condemnation and of course, the consummation where God will create a new heaven and a new earth. So that's like a brief summary of the Bible, amen, in a jet view. But we're halfway right now, so we'll go to uh, crown part two. Um, last month, we studied about Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel. And then today, we will study about David, the finest king of Israel. Then later on, we'll study about Solomon, the fabulous king of Israel. Let's have a word of prayer first, all right? Let's bow our heads. Father God in heaven, thank you for this wonderful freedom and opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for our salvation. Thank you for your precious word that you've given us, Lord, knowledge and information and data of what had happened in the past. What are you doing for us right now in the present and even what you have in store for us in the future? Thank you, Lord, that your word is a, an encouragement to us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's always profitable for us, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for this love letter of thee, even, Lord, for the instructions, the reproof, the rebuke. Uh, uh, thank you, Lord, that your word is always alive. It's, uh, uh, it's a two-edged sword and if we just allow it to penetrate our hearts and uh, come... Uh, goes deep into our uh, mind and our hearts, Lord. I know, Lord, it will bring forth truth. It will do, you know, its purpose. So tonight, Lord, um, help us, Lord, keep us safe as we have this Bible study. And we also prayer, uh, our prayers for your blessing also for our brethren who cannot make it tonight for some reason. Um, keep them safe, Lord, in their homes. And thank you, Lord, for their support in joining us, even though virtually and for their prayers. And for all the prayer requests that was mentioned tonight, Lord, answer them according to your will. And once again, Lord, forgive me for my sins and my shortcomings. And help me, Lord, to be a channel of blessing to thy people tonight. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, our study actually covers 1 Samuel all the way to 1 Chronicles, the life of David. There you go. Uh, how many of you have been in silent sound? And that's the... The show about David. All right. I think uh, that's one of the best productions that they ever done. And some of you have uh, seen a lot of their shows, you know, um, 
I think one of my uh, favorites is also um, Moses. You know, um, such great uh, anthem and theme and song selection. And uh, I also like Noah. I feel like I was inside the ark. Once those uh, real animals and robotic animals popping around the side, like, oh, you can just imagine, isn't it? But uh, we truly enjoy David because, you know what, we can relate to David. And we know that he is called uh, a man after God's own heart. And let's turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 22, because we cannot read the whole story of David, amen, from 1 Samuel to 1 Chronicles. But let's look at the verse of Scripture in Acts chapter 13. Um, start reading, let me see, uh, verses 21, okay, up to 23. All right, the Bible says, And afterward... They desired a king, and gave, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, the first king of Israel. All right? He's chosen by the people. All right? They get tired of theocracy, and they want to have monarchy. They want to be like the other nations. You know? uh, Samuel is too old. He cannot really judge us anymore. He's the last judge of the nation of Israel. So we want to have king like other nations. So God gave them Saul, who is like outwardly superior to all men, isn't it? His head and shoulders taller than men. Handsome, sabi nga, tall, dark, and handsome ng mukha. You know, all right? So physically, he looks so qualified. And he started as a hum in a humble beginning. But, you know, he rebelled against God. His heart was puffed up. Uh, and also, the Bible says that the kingship royalty should not depart out of the tribe of Judah. It was prophesied. So even though Saul is the first king, he's not the finest king of Israel. And we know it is David. And we continue reading. God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. He ruled for 40 years. And when he had removed him, remember, he rebelled against God. He disobeyed God. God's spirit is not with him anymore. He raised up unto them. What's the name? David, to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, or a man after God's own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed had God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Amen? Clear, isn't it? Jesus will be coming from the seed, the lineage, the line of David. And we can find that in the genealogies of Matthew because it presents Jesus as the rightful heir to the throne. That is the king of kings and is the Lord of lords. The apple of God's eye, David is, a man after God's own heart. He lived uh, and reigned from 1010 to 970 BC. We know that David made mistakes because we know the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. But this is the difference. When David sinned and was confronted, he admitted it and made it right with God. He never offered excuses or alibis. So we can see in the Bible that David fills more pages of history, poetry, and prophecy than anyone in the Old Testament. Remember I told you in the Old Testament there's three main offices. There is a prophet, a priest, and a king. And Melchizedek 
who was before the Aaronic priesthood, was a king and a priest, isn't it? He's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He like typifies God or Jesus Christ, all right? So there is Samuel, he is a prophet and a priest. And there's David, who is a king and a priest, but never a person is both prophet, priest, and king. But came Jesus Christ, amen? He fulfilled all the main offices of all the Old Testament because he's both prophet, priest, and king. You see how wonderful our Savior is? But look here at David. He wrote 77 of the 150 Psalms. More than half, isn't it? Were written by David. So tonight, we will study about David. David's life can be viewed in 10 segments. Oh, 10 points. So I'll try to be quick here. 10 points. It all starts with letter S for your remembrance if you're taking notes. So first is David the shepherd. David the shepherd from 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 to 13. And brother uh, Christian quote one of his favorite memory verse, Psalms 23. That's a great verse. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, you can preach some sermons in that just first uh, uh, verse of that scripture about the shepherd, isn't it? And we know that Christ is our, you know, good shepherd in the gospel. He's our chief shepherd, you know? He is our great shepherd. We know in history, in the Bible, after Saul is rejected by God as king, Samuel is instructed to make a visit to Bethlehem to find Saul's replacement. Jesse, not Uncle Jesse, okay? Jesse is there and he has eight sons. And David is the least likely choice in his mind, his father. Because David, during that time, he's a teenager. He's a ruddy, apple pie face kid like me. Bayabas <laughs> pie is my face. He's a ruddy, apple pie face kid like I used to be. But where others see, as the song said, a shepherd boy, God may see a king. When others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Because God delights in using unlikely candidates. Amen? Because he can use the ordinary to do extraordinary things. God used the humble and base things of the world to confound, confound the wise and the mighty, as the Bible says. Because that's the way God is glorified. Amen? When he used those things. And good things, as we know, Come to those who wait. Amen? Good things come to those who wait. That's why there's Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Isn't it? They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But we have to wait upon the Lord. Like David. The Bible says we will reap if we faint not. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Be not weary. Or don't get tired of well-doing or doing good works. For in due season, he shall reap if he faint not. David, during this time in 1 Samuel 16, 1-13, is just 17 years old. You know, a young shepherd boy. And he is now anointed to be king. Samuel said, oh, not the eldest. Not that one. All the way to the seventh. And he asked, if you have time, just read that passage of scripture. Is, do you have any other son? Of course, David was not there standing the ship of his father. But you know, he was anointed by Samuel at the age of 17. But don't you know when 
What, how old is he when he was actually crowned as a king? He was 30 years old. He has to wait 13 years. And even then, he's only anointed king for two tribes. The tribe of Judah and another tribe. Not all that is promised to him until he reached 37 years old. Because even Saul was anointed in three stages. Same as David. Because during that time, isn't it? Saul is the first king. David is the second king. They are not like other nations who has already a protocol how to choose a king. So David was privately anointed by Samuel during the time when he was 17. Then he was anointed as a king for those two tribes when he was 30. Then he was anointed as the king of all Israel, the 12 tribes, at the age of 37. So he waited for 20 years for God's perfect will to happen to his life. Until then, there was a time that he was tending sheep. You know, that's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Hebrews 10, 36. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. It was promised to him. You know, God's power is not with soul anymore. His heart is lifted up before me. He disobeyed me. He rebelled me. But remember, he did not usurp the throne of soul. He still respected that position until the perfect time that God will bring him to the nation of Israel as the king. So what's the practical application here in this first point? If you are claiming something yet future that you know God wants, hold on to it and don't lose faith. Amen? Do you have prayers like that? Do you have desire like that? You know it's God's will, but it's still the future. Don't get tired of praying. Don't get tired of waiting before God because God's timetable is not ours. He has his own perfect timing. He's sometimes early, but he's never too late. God has never forgotten you and me. So keep on praying. Secondly, David the singer. Chapter 16, verses 14 to 23. We know that David was skillful with the harp. He arranged worship services in the sanctuary. In 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31, he composed psalms of lament for Saul and his BFF, Jonathan. When they were slain by the enemy. He composed a lot of lament for them. In 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 17 to 27. You know he's a good singer. He's uh, what we call uh, uh, a great musician. His music soothes soul, soul to some degree. When the Bible says an evil spirit. You know like is there an evil spirit that comes from God? We know God controls everything isn't it? He sold during this time as a demonic dementia so to speak, because of his jealousy, animosity with David, you know, later on during the story. But music suits his soul. David plays beautifully with the lyre and the harp and sings so beautifully, you know, and music truly, you know, entertains us and makes us calm. Music is a powerful force, isn't it? Even the savage beast is affected by music. We can see that in documentaries in Eastern traditions, Eastern world. You see those uh, people who are doing the, the flute and the snake just like, you know, all right? And the lion just like, hmm, they just listen. Savage beasts are being tamed, soothed by music. David has his own hymn book. Of course, it's the book of Psalms. 
One half written by David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. It was called that in 2 Samuel 23 verse 1. So what happened here? You know, David was beckoned to go to the king's court to play his music and he became a squire of Saul. And we see here that success happens when preparation meets opportunity. Success happens when preparation meets opportunity. David became proficient by practice and by using his talents. We have a saying, practice makes perfect. Practice makes permanent. Practice, practice makes good pattern. So he spent hours on the hillside with just God and his sheep, singing, playing, praising God with his song, praising the beauty of God's creation and his holiness. When it's time time, Time, uh, come time to minister, God used his psalms, his songs that he authored, he composed to help Saul during this time. And his gift opened doors for him. Isn't it? His gift opened doors for him. Thirdly, David the soldier. David the soldier. All the uh, verses of chapter 17. Alright? Uh, we know the story of the battle between Goliath and David. One of uh, the most well-known Sunday school story, amen? If you remember your Sunday school teacher, I love that story. I have a good Sunday school teacher that, he, uh, that she, you know, even acts it out. All right? Uh, we see here that God can do mightily through the dynamite of a small package. He actually gets more glory that way, isn't it? Because we hear that song, little is much when God is in it. You know, God uses, as I said a while ago, ordinary, humble, base things to confound the mighty, the knowledgeable, the wise in this world to get the glory. You know, so next slide here. We know the story. Goliath was mocking the God of Israel. And David was commanded to bring some, you know, baon, pagkain sa kanyang mga kapatid. They and you know, Saul has no professional, well-trained army during that time. And their enemy, the Philistines, that's why they, parang, they uh, drafted uh, the men, the sons, to fight in that war. Of course, the brothers of uh, David, at least the, the, the three brothers, went there. You know, They are also like big and strong. And of course, Saul is the biggest of them all, but he's the biggest coward also, you know? And Goliath was challenging, and, and that's a tradition in the East, to have a one-on-one -on -one combat, duel. Yeah, so it will decide, you know, uh, the winner. So it will uh, uh, negate a lot of bloodshed and everything. So that's one of the tactics in the East of fighting the war. And of course comes Goliath, you know, come from the uh, Neptalims, you know. Uh, giants and he's over nine foot tall. His armor and his weapon is already weighing 150 pounds. Imagine that. Your armor man, isn't it? That's just his weapon and armory. So he's been a, a warrior, a soldier from his youth. So he's really a, a warlord, isn't it? Of course, everybody is afraid of him. And he's shouting, you know, mocking the God of Israel. And we, we find that uh, famous phrase in 1 Samuel 17, David said when he arrived at the camp, is there not a cause? 
Yes, there is a cost. You know, and he trusted God. And we know the story. He picked up five smooth stones. How come he picked up five stones? Did he thought that he might miss? You know, it only took one stone, isn't it? To kill that Goliath, isn't it? That pagan. And it seems like when he hit, he was hit in the head, God like slapped him and he pulled down, you know, forward instead of backward because it's God who gave Saul the victory, uh, David the victory. Look, tirador lang. Alright? Ang ginamit niya. Actually, hindi ganyan yung tirador eh. I think, pag ganun eh. Filipino na yata naka-invento niyan, pag ganyan, you know? But of course, just for object lesson, you know, it's just a slingshot. And we know he defeated that giant who defies the God of Israel, the true living God. You know, something entered the giant's mind that he never considered before. The stone, isn't it? His skull was penetrated. And David showed he knew how to get ahead. Oh, it's a bata. David showed he knew how to get ahead. And that's really biblical. He took his own sword and cut his head off. A sign of victory. And by God's grace, what's the lesson here? We can also defeat the giants in our lives. Isn't it? David, if you remember, he said, you know, God helped me to defend my sheep against predators like lion and bear. Oh, those are... You mean... Remember, Samson killed a lion by his bare hands. So meaning God really strengthened. David had already proved God's power and strength in his life. And he said, you are just a man. Even though you're big and strong, there is a cause. I will defend the name of my God. And God gave him the victory. So number four, let's move on. David the Sot. Chapters 18 to 31 of 1 Samuel. Of course, after this victory, Saul became very jealous and had bitter animosity of David because now women were singing about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, he killed his ten thousands. Thousand lang sa story here. Then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech the priest was ministering in the tabernacle David runs to the house of God when he was being sought, being hunted down. So what's the lesson here? Many Christians a lot of times lay out of church when things go wrong. They don't feel like smiling or being around people who do smile in the church. They don't feel like laughing or worshiping either because they are discouraged, they are down. They think they have no friends. They think that they are just hypocrites in the church. They think that they won't get anything from the church because their heart is indifferent. It's cold. It seems like, to illustrate that, when you feel like that, or sometimes that happens, is it when your children don't feel like going to school or taking a bath or brushing their teeth? What do we emphasize to them? You need to do it. Just do it. You have to. It will do you good. And it's when you feel the need Church is the least, that's the time that you truly need it the most. Isn't it? When you feel like, oh, I don't really need church, I don't really need to worship, I don't really need to attend because I'm too tired, I'm too down, I'm too discouraged. I think that's the time that you really need a touch of God to be in his house. Like David did. 
Look what happened. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 3. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? While he was uh, running away from Saul, and he has some men with him, give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 9. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. When David went to the house of God, David got bread and a sword. Bread to sustain him and a sword to equip him. So it means that when we go to the house of God, we'll find some bread here. Because it's called the house of bread to sustain us. Because if you don't word, have the word of God, what does Jesus Christ said in Matthew 4.4? 4, Man shall not live by physical bread, earthly bread. By what the world offers. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Church can give us sustenance as long as the church is preaching the truth and the Bible, the word of God. You know, the word of God is our defense and offense. And if you look at Luke chapter 6, verse 5, this was mentioned, this story, because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were so you know, critical of the disciples because they thought that they broke the Sabbath by eating some of the oats on their way to their ministry. And Jesus quoted what had happened to David, that he asked the priest for the showbread. And he just tells us that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he did uh, something because he was hungry, he was famished. And actually that showbread that was given to him by the priest are not the bread that they offered to God that very day. Those are leftovers from days ago. So isn't it good to do good works at the Sabbath day? Like Jesus did good works in the time of Sabbath? Because, but they made it so... Uh, ritualistic, legalistic, that they even criticize the disciples for eating a little bit during the Sabbath. Now, we can celebrate, isn't it? The goodness of God, our redemption during the Lord's day. Usually when people lay out of church is when God, you know, sometimes give out the bread. But the problem is they are not present, they are absent. And they miss the sustenance. You know, and they miss the bread. And they miss the sword that they need in that time in particular. Now, as a pastor, as a teacher, you can, you can relate with me. Sometimes we pray that the Lord will use us as we give out the bread of God's word. The sword of God's word. You know, we pray for our students. We try to get them to listen. You know, but you know what? If you don't want help, you won't find it. Sometimes you'll have to come when you are discouraged, but by God's grace, you will not live that way, still discouraged. Amen? You'll be encouraged by the word of God. David was sought, and so are you. The Bible says, the devil seeks you. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the, the, the devil, like a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He is seeking after you. He's there to tempt you. He's there to put you down. So what do you do when the devil is trying to seek after you? Run to God. Amen? Run to, to the Lord. 
As the Bible says in John 6.38, this is a profound question of Jesus Christ when He said to the multitudes, to the pretended, pretending disciples, that you will bear my cross, you will suffer with me, and a lot of them went away. And He asked the disciples, will you also go away? In John 6.38, and here comes Simon Peter, isn't it? The outspoken one. Where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Good job, Peter. Good answer. Yeah. Where can we go, Christians? Jesus has the words of eternal life. Words of life that we need in this life to survive and to flourish and to do His will. That's why keep on going to church. Amen? Keep on going to your Bible study group. Keep reading the Bible. Keep having your personal devotion because in there you'll find the words of life. Number five, David the Sovereign. We can find this in 2 Samuel chapters 1 to 10. David the Sovereign. So in summary, here in this story, in this chapter, Saul is wounded in battle, then he commits suicide. Sad to say, isn't it? Falling on his own sword. And now David is crowned as king. He receives a covenant. A covenant in the Bible is an agreement between two parties. And there are conditional and unconditional covenants in the Bible. There are three main covenants in the Old Testament. We see here the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, where God promised Abraham a new land that he will bless him with and uh, his children will possess. There's the Davidic covenant that the Lord will give them a new king, a king that will rule and reign, will be in David's throne forever. And of course, the new covenant, where we have that covenant right now, where God will give us new hearts through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 16. I'd like us to read this short uh, passage of scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 16. We can find this, the, I think, the Vedic covenant. The Bible says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. This is an unconditional covenant that is not affected by the Jews or how America deals with Israel or any nation who wants to wipe them out. This covenant is unconditional and the Lord God Almighty will keep it. Amen? As He promised. And then in this passage of scripture that I just read in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 16, we see here a prophecy of David's son Solomon that the temple will be built and the kingdom of David will be forever. There's also a parallel passage in Psalms 89. A parallel passage. Psalms 89, verses 30 to 37. Let's just read this quickly. Uh, it says here, If his children forsake my law, that's why it's unconditional, and walk not in my judgment, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with a rod, 
If we rebel, disobey, God has to chastise us. Amen? Punish us because we belong to Him. We are His own, like the children of Israel. You know? I will visit them with the transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, this is the blessing. My loving kindness will I not utterly take from Him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. As Sister Sally just sang, God's faithfulness never fail us. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven. As long as the sun is there, as long as you can see the moon during night time, these are two witnesses that I will keep my word to you, David, God said. Amen? But we have a problem here. Someone from David's lineage will sit on the throne forever. How can this be? We know David died. Solomon died. Rehoboam died. And his consecutive you know, sons and his generations to follow. But we know from the scripture, only someone who is eternal can fulfill this promise. And who is that? Once again, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at this passage of scripture. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 33. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 33. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Amen? As God said in Psalms 89, unconditional covenant, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. God keeps his promise, his word. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 29 to 30. Acts chapter 2, verse 29 to 30. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you the patriarch David. You know, one of, a, one of the greatest sermons in the book of Acts, isn't it? That he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, you know, David is a king and a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, or his seed, lineage, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ. To sit on his throne. David. Was that? Father. Isn't it? Promised. To have the Messiah reign. Through his seed. Look at Acts 15. Verse 14 to 17. Acts 15. 14 to 17. Simeon had declared. How God at the first did visit the Gentiles. To take out of them a people for his name. Thank God. God visited us. 2,000 years ago. Amen. Even to this very day. This grace age. And to this agree the words of the prophet, as it is written, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, said the Lord, who doeth all these things. God's will and his way and his work still continue. Through the person of Jesus Christ, who came from the lineage of David, as God has promised. As we know, his first coming, Christ's first coming was for a crown of thorns. Amen? 
for the cross. But next time that he comes, but it will be the real crown. Amen? The crown of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not the cross, but the crown this time. Last time he came as a redeemer, his first coming, his first admit. But next time he'll come as a ruler. Last time, the first time he came as a savior, but the next time he will come as a sovereign. Every prophecy of Christ's first coming was fulfilled literally. So why not his second coming? Amen? Because Jesus is the sovereign. Number six, David the sinner. He is the sad part of the story. Of this account of this narrative. Second Samuel chapter 11. What name, what names come to your mind when we hear the name David? Two names that are associated with him. Isn't it? Goliath and there you go. Bathsheba. <laughs> Goliath and Bathsheba. So they can typify his greatest victory and also his greatest defeat. Isn't it? Here in this timeline, 2 Samuel 11, David has been king for 20 years. He's now 57 years old. He is rich. He has the praise of the people. His approval rating is very high. Amen? He has it made as a person, as a king. But he became very vulnerable through success. Lust led to covetousness, stealing, adultery, lying, and even murder. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 to 28. Proverbs 6, 27 to 28. The Bible says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Yes, it will burn. Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Have you seen somebody walk on hot coals? magician no? Illusionist. And their feet are not burned? They're not burned kasi ang kapal na ng kalyo nila. Alright? Sa... And this speaks, this verse speaks of adultery. As we know what happened, isn't it? David did not go to war. He relaxed. He was in the palace. He can see the other houses on the way down. Usually the palace are built in a higher elevation. That's why ang pangalan ni Bathsheba, Bathsheba. But she, Bah! Alright? So, alam na natin story, how he fell, isn't it? Last, led to covetousness, stealing, adultery, lying, and murder. Alright? And, uh, wow, sad. So, let's go to the next one. David the Sorrowful. David the Sinner, David the Sorrowful. Second Samuel chapters 12 all the way to 31. So, we see here in this story, the prophet Nathan. God always sends somebody, you know, as an instrument to convict you because God is merciful. He wants you to go back on the right track. And we know David sin, he was out of God's will for at least two years. The prophet Nathan uses an illustration to show David his sin. Isn't it? He made it, he used a story. Oh, there was a, remember the story? Do I have to say it? No? There was a rich man who had a party, isn't it? And he had a neighbor who has one little ship that the family loved. And instead of getting one of his many sheep, he took the poor man's sheep and, you know, butchered it and, you know, offered it to his guests. And David was so wrath, he's angry, isn't it? What do you think would God do for that, you know, rich, rich fool? He has to die! And Nathan said, Thou art the man! 
si David. Karon sa realization true. You know, I committed adultery and I have Bathsheba's wa- uh, husband Uriah died in battle, which is my doing. So what happened? David confesses, and we know God has forgiven him, but there's always consequences to sin. Remember we studied the judgment may not come now, but it can come later. Isn't it? Four installments, four installments of God's judgment during this time. Seven days later, his baby with Bathsheba dies. The baby son. And we hear this uh, passage of scripture and we, of course we now know when that, that baby was sick, David was fasting and praying. And when finally the baby died, the servant said, thought that, oh, he's going to be totally devastated. It's gonna be, he's going to be mourning more. But David shaved, took a bath, put new clothes, started eating. And they were like amazed. How come you're doing that? Because he said, you know, he will not return to me. His son will not return to me, but I will go to him. So that proves that every baby or kid that dies before reaching the age of accountability goes into the presence of God, goes to heaven. Amen? Because, you know, God's grace is there. Uh, especially during this time, those, you know, aborted babies, those, uh, you know, innocent, you know, that was taken out of this world, not given o- even the right, regardless of the circumstance, situation, how they are conceived. Isn't it? It's not their fault, isn't it? But they are, if they are killed, they are in the presence of God. Because God said their life is sacred. You know, so this is what happened. He lost his baby. His son, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, Tamar. Absalom, one of his sons, murders his brother, Amnon. Absalom revolt and is also killed by one of his loyal general, General Job, Joab. See, four installments of God's judgment because of his sin. So we can see here that we reap what we sow later than we sow, more than we sow. Isn't it? That's the lesson we can see here. But you know what? David was sorrowful about his sin. He repent, and you know, God used David again mightily after this, after 57 years old, all the way to being 70. Because when confronted, he repented and made it right before God. You see, a perfect heart comes not from sinlessness, but from confession. A perfect heart comes not from sinlessness, but from confession. You know, it's humorous when some preacher preach. Some preachers preach and say, your sin nature is eradicated at salvation. But none of their wives really believe that, isn't it? Just ask your wives. Really? We're still in sin, isn't it? We just need to confess it and ask God for forgiveness. Humble ourselves. We have to move on. Amen? It's already 9 o'clock. Number 8, David the seeker. That's why we have this famous psalm, Psalm 51. How does he seek God's forgiveness? We'll see in this passage. First, we know in Psalms 51, verse 1. Okay, let me go there. We know that sin soils the soul. Isn't it? Like what had happened for David for almost two years when he was living in sin and confessed sin before God. Sin soils, 
the soil. He has another psalm, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isn't it? That's why he said there in verse 2, Psalm 51, Wash me thoroughly away from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Have mercy upon me in verse 1, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, brought out my transgression. So he felt dirty and wanted to be made clean. Amen? That's why there's a difference between a cat and a pig. A cat and a hog when it comes to dirt. Amen? A cat will wipe the dirt away. One of the cleanest animals. Amen? Cat lovers? Now you don't have to give them a bath because they don't want water. They'll clean themselves. But look, clean a pig. Wash him. Head and shoulder. Conditioner. And if they see muds and dirt, what they, they will going to do? <laughs> I'm happy again. They will dive in. They, they don't care even if you put them jewelries and you know earrings and all clean and you know perfume if they see dirt. Because that's their nature, isn't it? They will go back. So what's the implication here? If you are truly saved, you'll feel dirty when you sin. A believer lapses into sin and loathes it, hates it. An unbeliever leaps into sin and loves it. See the difference? A Christian, a true Christian, a believer, lapses into sin. We all still fall into sin because we're still living in a fallen world with the sinful nature. Amen? Nobody is sinless. Nobody is perfect. We have lapses, but we don't feel like enjoying it anymore. We loathe it. We feel bad. We feel guilt and shame. But a, a person who don't have a new nature, a new heart, not regenerated, not a Christian, no, they still loves to do it. You know, they leap into it and loves it. So sin solves the soul. Number two, sin saturates the mind. You know, this is a negative saturation. Saturation. You know, verse three, it says here, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. David couldn't get it off his mind. It echoed as the first thing he thought about when he woke up and the last thing when he lay down at night. But once truly he confessed that sin, he got God's help to get past it as much as humanly possible. If you can sin and get past it, it easily, that's not a good sign. Amen? If you sin and get past it easily, that's not a good sign. Sin makes it hard to pray, hard to have joy, hard to laugh, and hard to forget until you deal with it by God's grace. You know, when it's habitual, living in sin, you need to get it right or you're going to get chastised. You lose the blessings and live a life of misery and emptiness. That's why you have to turn to God. Repent of it. Ask His forgiveness and God can restore you. Number three, letter C. Sin stings the conscience. Not in only soils the soul, saturates the mind, stings the conscience. Look in verse 4, Psalm 51. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. When it breaks your heart that you have hurt the heart of God, you are in a good position. Amen? When it breaks your heart that you have hurt the heart of God, you are in good position as a Christian. You know, God is so good to us. Amen? How merciful. So when we turn around Him and treat Him shamefully because of sin, it should sting inside because you don't 
intentionally hurt the ones that you love. Amen? Yeah, if you have true love. Lastly, sin saddens the heart. Verse 8 and 12. Verse 8 and 12. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Take note. Restore unto me not salvation. That's why David is a saved man. He never lose his salvation, his relationship with the Lord. But what he lost, he lost was his fellowship. The joy of his salvation. That's why it's so hard, isn't it? To pray, to worship, to go to church if we have known sin and confess. But God wants us back. All we need to, go, to do is return to him. Come to him with a humble heart. Because God wants to give us joy. Because sin will always sadden the heart. You know, he wanted back what he had lost. Amen? David, that's why he was a man after God's own heart. You know, he humbled himself. He's still seeking after God. He wants his joy back. Miserable people are Christians who have one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord. There's no joy in that. There's some real, true, lasting joy in that. Isn't it? How did David come back to God? Quickly. Three things. With confidence, in verse 1 of Psalms 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. He's, he's, he's confident that God still loves him. That God still cares for him. We know that the devil is the accuser after we sin, saying that God can never use you again. You're done for. God can never use you. You failed God again. You sinned. Just stay where you are. Stay in the shelf. Don't do anything anymore for God. He will accuse you because he's the devil. But David is a proof positive that you can still be used of God. So he came to God with confidence. Number two, with confession. Verse three, for I acknowledge my transgression, he said. You know, acknowledge here is the key word. No alibis allowed. He fessed up and faced the music, so to speak. It was not Bathsheba's fault for bathing on the rooftop. It was not his wife's fault if she was not in the mood. It was not his strong sex drive that God gave him as a man. He took full responsibility for his actions. You know, they said the guys at the jail are all pleading innocent. Isn't it? But why are they there? Yes, maybe some are innocent. But most are accountable for their actions. Isn't it? But here, he confessed. I always say, confession is always good to the soul. That's why we confess to God. We confess to our wives. Amen, guys? Wives confess to... Oh. Alam niya na Alright? Number three, with cleansing. Amen? The word blood here in verse one. Blood has to do with the penalty of sin. Verse two, it says wash, which is about the pollution of sin. And verse seven says purge, which has to do with the power of sin. Amen? Blood, Lord, blood the penalty. Thank the Lord. Praise God. Lord, wash the pollution of sin. Thank you, Lord. Lord, purge me with the power of sin. It means to yank it by the roots for future prevention. Purging. Amen? Yank it at the root. What's the root cause? You know, give it to God. Surrender it to Him. Ask God for victory. Number nine. Amen? David the statistician. Oh. David the statistician. 
statistician. Narika, lumabas ang aking pagka-Ilocano. Ay, kapampangan. Alright. 2 Samuel 24. Alright, we know here a summary. He numbers the people. He took a census, which he's not supposed to do. He was commanded by God not to do it. It was a pride thing. See? Still uh, commit mistakes. Sin before God. You know? Plus, he would feel independent. That's why he asked him not to do that. And not trust in God, but in horses and chariots, soldiers and artillery. Isn't it? The Bible says, do not trust in chariots and horses, but trust God. He'll give you the victory in every battle. So because of that, God has to punish him again. God gave David the choice of three punishments when he did this, when he was commanded not to do it. Seven years of famine, or number two, to be pursued by enemies for ten days, or a three-day pestilence. Three punishment. And what did he choose? In 2 Samuel 24, A, B, or C. Ano sa Seven years of famine, be pursued by his enemies for ten days, or three-day pestilence. Ano kayong mas less severe? Nabasa nyo na ba to? 2 Samuel 24? Any? Any suggestion? A, B, or C? May sumagot D. <laughs> Fourth option. It was pestilence. He chose pestilence. Sabi niya, mas mabuti pang maparusan ako sa kamay ng Panginoon kaysa sa kamay ng aking mga kaaway o sa kamay ng judgment ng Panginoon sa nature. But you know what? 70,000 men died. 70,000 men died. That's the number. You see, the lesson here, sin always affects others around us. Because we are not an island. We are connected to others. We affect others. Isn't it? And number 10, the last. Amen? And we're done. Wow. At last. David the sponsor. First Chronicles chapters 22 to 29. I mean, oh, this is the latter end of David's life. David wanted to build a temple for God. But God will not allow him because he was a man of war. With a lot of blood in his hands. But his son Solomon would be able to. So God gave him permission to make preparations for the temple. He was 70 years old at this time. See? Seniors, amen? Elderly, you can still do something for God when you're old. He was 70 during this time. 13 years after his downfall, you know, uh, when he committed that um, sin with Bathsheba. You see here, stone and iron, cedar logs, and $3 million of gold bullion, two million in silver, in that day's economy, it was more than we can imagine. He organized that. He also organized 22,000 Levites for the temple work. Then he fundraised by getting the people to give to the Lord. Not a bake sale, not ringing a bell or washing a car. All right? God's method of building the church is through the giving of God's people. Amen? We don't have to ask Walmart for donation. God can use you and me to build this work. Amen? That's why we have Nehemiah Project. Amen? We are encouraging everybody to give sacrificially. But look at David, his example. He led the way with a personal offering of 85 million in gold. 20 million in silver in today's equivalent. Okay? This inspired many others in Israel to give sacrificially themselves. You see, no sacrifice is too great. In the eyes of God. No sacrifice is too great in the eyes of God. Giving to God should be done with reckless abandon. Amen? 
we give to God with reckless abandon because you cannot outgive God. We can never outgive God anytime, anywhere. So that's David. Amen? That's crown part two. But before we go home, let's look at what happened to Solomon. Because remember, Saul, the first king, David, the finest king, Solomon, the fabulous king. But just three things about Solomon and we'll end. Other than to say, not a lot to talk about Solomon. Solomon had a promising start. He had a vision as a young man, and God asked him what he wants. He did not ask for long life, peace among his enemies, wealth and everything. He just asked for wisdom, knowledge from God, how to rightly apply knowledge. He grew up in a good home. He became the richest and wisest man in the world. He also had not only promising start, but this is the sad part, progressing sin. He had a weakness for women. 1,000 pair of pantyhose was hanging in his shower. He said good night to one until early in the morning. Good night, good night, good night, good night. 1,000. As we know, some of them, he married to have peace with other nations, isn't it? Just to connect them, not really. You know, but that's still a lot, amen? You cannot even keep up with one, amen? And he had 1,000. And those women that are pagan Gentiles, have pagan gods, and they influence him, and he wound up building temples to these false deities, worshipping them with orgy, orgies, and even child sacrifice. This, some of these pagan gods are, are very cruel, isn't it? So he wound up in pervasive sadness, dying a miserable, broken man. Solomon wrote his songs of Solomon as a young man about love, if you want a good sermon or lesson about Valentine's or True Love, Song of Solomon, it's a good, you know, book. He wrote Proverbs later about wisdom. Ecclesiastes, though, was the writing of a miserable old man waiting to die and explain to God why he threw away such promising life. That's why we see the phrase, vanity of vanities. Without God's blessing, without God's purpose, everything under the sun is empty, is vanity. But look at the man who got it all. Wealth, fame, good looks, wisdom, fame, fortune. He was like worship, isn't it? For his wisdom and knowledge, but, you know, without God in his life. He had more than anyone who have ever lived, but he considered it emptiness. There is nothing good under the sun. That's why we must live for things above the sun. Amen? Set your affection on things above. The Bible says not on things on the earth. I have to end. Here's the great lesson of David. God is not looking for a perfect people, but rather those who will have a perfect heart toward him. Do you have a perfect heart tonight? We can ask God for one. Amen? He can grant it to us. May the Lord be praised. Let's bow our for prayer. Father God, thank you for the life of David. Thank you, Lord, that he's such a blessing as we read. He's account his story his narrative in the bible because lord we can relate to him he has successes he has failures he has ups and downs like we do but thank you lord that one of the greatest honor given to a man is to be called a man after god's own heart and uh, what a wonderful day that will be lord when we'll meet king david in heaven and we can share stories with him, how God sustained him, 
how God blessed him, how God used him because of having a humble heart and how God used him to write all these beautiful poetries and psalms and songs. And uh, thank you, Lord, that we can learn so much about him, that he is an example in our lives, Lord. And thank you, Lord, most of all, that you used him to uh, have the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to be born into this world to save us sinners. Thank you, Lord, for your patience toward us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, what you reminded us tonight. So may these lessons, Lord, be uh, uh, useful in our lives. And may we always remember, Lord, when we fail thee, when we sin before me, you are always there, Lord, with open arms, ready to receive us if we just humble ourselves, confess our sins, ask for forgiveness, uh, forgiveness forsake them, and try by your grace, Lord, to do your will. As you said in your word, if a man falleth seven times, he will also be raised by God seven times. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace that's uh, available for all of us. Lord, guide us tonight. Give us a good night rest and traveling mercy. And be with our brethren that uh, join us spiritually, whatever they're going through, Lord, strengthen them, heal them, touch them, and grant our prayers and our request petition according to your will. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Good night.